Welcome to Birthful Mighty Parent or Parent-to-Be. I'm Adriana Lozada, and as we continue with our movement and body wellness series, you may remember from our previous episode with Deb Flaschenberg how we talked about the difficulties of dealing with pubic symphysis pain and also how knowing your exercise history and leaning into specific movement and exercises and stretches along with additional body work can really help improve your discomforts. Well, Today's story with Julia Cooper gives you a good idea of what that would look like in practice since Julia experienced relentless pubic symphysis pain during her pregnancy and also a drawn-out labor. And figuring out how to support her body to help her baby move on down, that alone would have required a lot of dedicated focus and intentional movement from Julia. But on top of that, she had the extra complication of not having a big part of her support team with her when labor started. Yeah, so many things. This is a multifaceted, multi-layered story because it turns out that at 38 weeks, both her husband and her mom had planned to be away on separate trips. And Julia had been nervous about the possibility of labor starting while they were away for weeks. Now, you know what's coming. Of course, that's exactly what happened. They were away and labor started, and it made for a very interesting and unplanned early labor experience that required so much adaptation and flexibility from Julia, including three separate trips to the hospital. This birth is such a testament to how much your mind and body are connected during birth and how, in spite of that, you can still support your physiology to make things flow when you're being thrown off your game. It just may require a lot more regrouping and take more time while you wait for, say, all your people to arrive or for your baby to move on down through your tissues or whatever your specific challenge may be. And on the flip side, sometimes that mind-body connection can also be used in your favor, like what Julia did when her baby was close to being born, and she just waited for the right care provider to show up for the birth of her baby, even though she had been in labor for nearly 40 hours already, and she was starting to feel pushy. But enough intrigue. Oh, one more thing, one more thing. Heads up that through the episode, Julia's baby pops in and out of the background. So yeah, right, that makes sense. If you have a baby, they talk and they share their experience as well. You're listening to Birthful, here to inform your intuition. Julia, thank you for being on the show and wanting to share your story. Thank you, Adriana. I'm so excited to be here and honored that you wanted to hear it. Thank you. And it was, I got to say, you sent me, when you sent the email, you also sent, you you tempted me because you sent your birth notes that your fabulous doulas had taken for you. And I've got, you know, that was even like, oh, kindred spirits, because I saw their notes and just felt transported to your birth because their notes were so similar to the ones that I take. So that was lovely. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you. And who else do you have with us? Oh, I have here my baby Van. So you might hear him in the background. And um, yeah, so he's going to be with us today on the podcast. It's totally fun because that's life for (laughs) most of the listeners. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So before we jump into your story, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? 
So I live in the San Francisco East Bay with um, my husband and my son. And I'm very fortunate to have my family very close by, only about 20 minutes away. So um, they'll come in big time in my story. And let's see, I'm a second grade teacher. So I'm running around a lot after after kids. When you first found out you were pregnant, what what were your thoughts about birth then? And what expectations did you have? Did you have any wishes? What was your mindset? Well, I'm actually the oldest of six kids. And I've seen my mother be pregnant several times, as well as go through pregnancy loss. So, you know, I kind of had expectations around just, you know, in terms of what she went through, that my experience might be sort of similar. So I wasn't necessarily afraid of birth or anything, seeing her go through it so many times, although I did experience her going through four or five miscarriages. So I did have quite a big fear of pregnancy loss. Mm, Yeah, that had to be tough. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So then you were pregnant. What were your wishes? What did you do to start preparing for giving birth? I did a lot of things. So (laughs) right away, I, um, I found a doctor that I really thought would be aligned to my values because she was trained with midwives. And I still, I guess, wanted the hospital birth that, you know, my mom encouraged me to stick with the hospital birth because my husband and I had talked about some other options. And I asked my doctor who she, you know, felt comfortable with in terms of doulas or if she had anybody that she recommended. And she recommended the Harmony Doula Group, which is a group of doulas that work in shifts. So I hired them pretty early on. And I found your your podcast very early on, about 10 weeks, because I, I'd always love listening to podcasts, especially when I work out. I like feeling like I'm exercising my body and my brain at the same time. So I found your podcast very early on and listened to pretty much every single episode. And if I heard a suggestion that I liked, I would write it down and, um, and research it on my own later on and follow through with it. So some of the best suggestions or things that I found that were really great, I just took a lot of tidbits from many of your different episodes. So thank you to you for that. I started following other podcasts from you. I, I started following Dr. Elliot Berlin's Informed Pregnancy podcast, and I really love his podcast. And And pretty much I just took little things from all of your different birth stories or things like that that I thought would be useful to me, and I started doing them. So if I can give you some examples, I learned about spinning babies through you and did spinning babies you know, pretty much every day, the inversion exercises. You interviewed Jeremy, who was a dad. He was like your dad birth story. And that was the first time and maybe the only time I heard about those witch hazel pads for recovery. So I just kind of took things here and there from your podcast. And that was a huge way to prepare. Oh, that's awesome. And I love hearing what resonated with you because there's some things like are expected, for example, the spinning babies, but Jeremy's podcast with the witch hazel pads, I'd forgotten about those. And even more things, if I can name drops another huge one, this is uh, Nancy Morbacher and Teresa Nesbitt. I would highly, would highly, highly encourage your listeners to check out their videos for the natural breastfeeding. 
because for me, I really wanted to practice and learn about breastfeeding before I was just kind of jumping into it myself. Yes. I love their videos. And I love that approach to breastfeeding because newborns breastfeed differently. So that whole thing of triggering their instincts through their natural breastfeeding or laid back breastfeeding, however you want to call it, of letting themselves attach and do that breast crawl is so fascinating to see and see your little one do it, right? Yeah, definitely. What other things are on top of your head that worked? Oh, lots of lots of things actually. So I stayed I tried to stay really healthy with eating and exercise and um I stayed on top of my running regimen of 4 to 5 miles a day when I was first pregnant and I also taught Zumba until I was 16 weeks pregnant and um eventually I I I stopped teaching Zumba. It became too much and and my walks my runs turned into walks. But that was great, like I said, because that's a great time that I would catch up on all the podcasts. I took prenatal yoga. I was pregnant in the summer, so I swam a lot towards the end of my pregnancy. And I kind of just did all the things that you hear about. I ate the six dates a day. I drank the raspberry leaf tea. I had the primrose oil ready to go, but I wasn't able to um, take it, actually. Um, I went into labor before I started taking that. And then some other great things were that uh, my doula group offered the prenatal classes. And so I took not only the childbirth education series with them, but also the um, breastfeeding classes with them. And they helped me write a birth plan and all of that great stuff. But I also wanted to do the hospital education classes and not so much. I felt that I, at that point, knew a lot of information. I I wasn't necessarily doing it to gain information. I was doing it to build relationships. um, And that was really invaluable to me because during our hospital tour, a lactation consultant led that and... I'm somebody who's going to ask a lot of questions and I, you know, I want to know about their protocols and procedures and things. So she remembered me and she was somebody who I ended up working with when I was in the hospital and during the hospital education classes, the charge nurse led those classes. And again, I asked a lot of questions. She definitely remembered me and it was really great because she was a familiar face in the hospital when I had my son and she, she checked on us every day and spent a lot of time with us in the end. The, the first day I was in there, she spent an hour with us helping me really work on getting him, you know, latched and really respected like the way that I wanted to do it with the baby led breastfeeding. So that was great. Just not so much for the, I felt like I kind of already knew it was a little bit of the know-it-all in the class, but of course then they remembered me and, and then I had familiar faces in the hospital, which was great. Oh, that's so good. So I wanted to say one more thing oh, about, yeah, yeah. I think about um, my time being pregnant that was kind of important, I think, as I haven't heard that much about it on for other people's experiences. I actually, since I'm a teacher and I was on my feet so much while I was pregnant, my biggest, I had a very easy pregnancy. There wasn't much, you know, that I can say or complain about, but I had intense pubic symphysis pain um, from about like 24 weeks on and it was excruciating. So to try to remedy that, I mean, the main thing is I needed to get off my feet, but I actually saw a pelvic floor therapist and she really helped me out and gave me some great exercises. 
And I also worked with the chiropractor and did some prenatal massage as well. And I really was trying to figure out how can I minimize this terrible pain. And did those help? Definitely the the pelvic floor therapist, I think, helped the most with that. Although, of course, the chiropractor and prenatal massage is really important for opening up space for the baby. Yeah, but it's just something I never... I never heard of before and just, just intense pain all day long. If anybody has it, you know, I feel so sorry for you. Yeah, no. And I have had a few clients that have, you know, it's, it's been relentless and it's one of those things that you have no idea how it's going to hit you and doing things like the pelvic PT and the chiropractor will improve it, but whether it goes away completely, it's hard to say. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, a relentless is a good word for that. You know, and then you you're not pregnant anymore, and then it goes away. Mm-hmm. Amazing! It was amazing. It was immediate pain relief. But yeah, so I did all of those things, and being a teacher, I um, had I had a baby in the summer, so I took those two months in the summer and really made it kind of my full time job at that point to not only prepare for the birth but get really really prepared with for life with the newborn. That was my main my main mission at that point. We are going to jump into that birth story, but we never got around to your birth intentions. <laughs> what were your birth intentions? So I really wanted as physiological of a birth as possible. And I definitely planned birth intentions, not, not a birth plan. And I, I wanted to kind of lay out all options on the table just so that there was no scenario where I would quote unquote fail with those birth intentions. Did you want to share what those were? Basically, I just, I really wanted low intervention. I, I did not want, I mean, I was, I was so much so that I didn't want an IV, you know, I really didn't want any interruptions or disruptions, but I think looking back and we can talk about this later, choosing the hospital as a birthplace is not the best place if you want seriously no interventions. And I knew that, but I was still hoping things would go in my favor in that way. I think something that derailed my plan early on, it's not, for some people, this is not a big deal. I think nobody understood why this was a big deal to me, but I was GBS positive. And mm. I was really upset getting that news because I knew immediately that would mean the penicillin, that would mean an IV, that would mean so many things right off the bat that I was trying to avoid. And even just going into the hospital early, I, in my head, I had this idea that I was going to go, you know, when I was, you know, whatever in transition and just push the baby out. Which is like the, uh, the dream, right? <laughs> just mm-hmm. walk right in and here's baby. Okay, send me home. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. In our house, we are big on hydrating. Aside from all the important health benefits, I find that if I'm not well hydrated, I get these brutal headaches. So it's really important for me to hydrate. However, I do not like the taste of tap water and I cannot bring myself to buy bottled water because of all the plastic waste. So for years, we did pitcher filters, but then we switched to AquaTrue water purifiers. And after tasting the deliciousness of their truly clean water, we are never going back. 
What makes AquaTrue so unique is that they use a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process. This process removes 15% more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and is specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, also known as forever chemicals, that are found in almost 45% of U.S. tap water. You can also forget about having to change filters every two to three months because AquaTrue filters last from six months to two years. Now, if plastic bottles are your thing, just one set of filters from AquaTrue's classic purifier makes the equivalent of 4,500 bottles of water. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and even makes a great gift. Today, my listeners receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier. Just go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U dot com and enter the code BIRTHFUL at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue water purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the promo code B-I-R-T-H-F-U-L. Today's episode is sponsored by Acorns, and sometimes I find that investing gets put off because it doesn't seem urgent or because with our busy lives, we may not have the time to research and manage said investments, which is why I so appreciate that Acorns makes it easy to start automatically saving and investing for your future and that you don't need a lot of money or expertise to invest with Acorns. In fact, you can get started with just your spare change. So, for example, I take advantage of Acorn's roundup feature where they round up the purchase amounts I make in my linked account to the nearest dollar, and then they automatically transfer that to my invest account portfolio. Also, Acorns can recommend an expert-built portfolio that fits you and your money goals, then automatically invests your money for you. For me, that's easy-peasy investing. Head to acorns.com slash birthful or download the Acorns app to start saving and investing for your future today. Client testimonial may not be representative of all clients. Tier 1 compensation provided. Compensation provides an incentive to positively promote Acorns. View important disclosures at acorns.com slash birthful. Investing involves risk, including loss of principal. Please consider your objectives, risk tolerance, and Acorns fees before investing. Acorns Advisors LLC Acorns is an SEC-registered investment advisor. Brokerage services are provided to clients of Acorns by Acorn Securities LLC. Member FINRA SIPC. For more information, visit acorns.com. So, with those intentions in mind, how did labor start? So I was 38 weeks pregnant and I was really dreading this week, my whole pregnancy, because my entire support team was going to be gone. My doctor was on vacation. And of course you can't always get the doctor that you want, but I really resonated with her and she was on a family vacation during that time. My mom was at her friend's 60th birthday party in North Carolina. So she was gone for a week. And my husband was going to be in a wedding. He was a a, a, a groomsman in his friend's wedding in Milwaukee. So um, I was really, really nervous for this week because my entire like main support team was gone. And not only that, but you know the doula group works as a group, so I knew that I would get, I wouldn't necessarily get kind of the head doula, but she was also out of town in New York at a conference. So. 
I was hoping for her at my birth, but you know, again, like the doctor, I, I knew that it wouldn't likely be her. So I was really, really nervous for that week. And on Wednesday night, my mom had a red eye flight. So she came over for dinner because we live near the airport. And she said, don't have that baby till I come back. And I was like, I won't, I won't like, you know, you're being, you're being silly. Like I'm definitely not going to go into labor. The day before that on Tuesday, I really didn't want vaginal checks, but I wanted to know, can I send my husband to this wedding halfway across the country? And so I asked her to check me and she said that I was zero centimeters dilated, 20% of face. She said the labor is not going to start anytime soon. And this was not my doctor. This was another doctor in the practice. My first time seeing her since my doctor was on vacation. I didn't really love the vibe that I got from her. So anyways, but I trusted her advice, I guess, that she did not think labor was imminent. So I sent my mom on her way. And then that was Wednesday night that I, that I saw my mom. And then we hours of Thursday morning at 3 a.m., I brought my husband to the airport because he had a 5 a.m. flight. And I went back home and was able to sleep a little bit more, which was good. And this is Thursday now. And um, so I went, you know, basically carried on with my day. I went for a long walk, like I always did. And I felt great. I didn't feel strange at all. I had planned to stay at my parents' house where my dad, and at that time, four of my siblings were home, four out of the five for summer vacation. Um, I planned to stay with them over the weekend just because I didn't want to be alone in my house and just in case anything happened. But I didn't bring my um, hospital bag because I didn't think anything was going to happen. So I'm at my parents' house and I ended up driving my sister to cheerleading practice and she had her permit at the time. So I let her drive to and from practice. And while she was at practice, since it was only an hour, I decided to walk again, the trail behind her high school and just wait for her because it was a beautiful summer day. And I started feeling weird at that point. I went into Trader Joe's right there and went to the bathroom and noticed that I was bleeding. So I started worrying a little bit, but thinking maybe it was just from the vaginal check, like they were telling me could happen. I I wasn't quite so sure. So I just tried to, you know, at that point I I did, I definitely didn't think it was labor. I just thought I felt kind of weird and gassy. So I remember I let my sister drive home and I, she was the first person I told, like, I feel kind of strange. So we get home and I I had a terrible dinner because my dad was in charge of feeding us that night. So we had pizza and jalapeno poppers, like not the last meal that (laughs) I would want before labor at all. And I continued to feel like just gassy, I guess, like just weird pains in my stomach that did not feel like contractions to me, but it kept going on. And I, I tried to sleep and I couldn't. So at that point around 1 a.m., only my brother and my dad were still awake. So, you know, I I just wasn't sure what was going on. I wanted to ignore early labor. That was like my plan, just to ignore it. But if this was early labor, I had to know because they had to know, do I need to get my husband back here and potentially my mom back here immediately, you know? So I texted my doula at 1am and she said, just maybe take some, something for, to see if it's gas pains and just see what's going on. 
and then text her back later. So at this time we're thinking, okay, maybe this is labor. So my, my dad went to sleep. So my brother's the only one up with me, my sweet brother, he was 19 years old at the time. So you can imagine I have my brother who's never, you know, he's your doodler. <laughs> yes, he was my doodla. And he's my only brother. But he's There's five sisters and one boy. So he's amazing. And he's so great at all of these things. But, you know, it was just so funny that he actually enlisted the help of two of his friends to drive over to my house and get my hospital bag and get the, the yoga ball, the birthing ball and get my TENS machine. And then they came on back and the, the friends didn't stay. But it's just so funny that this group of 19 year old boys is going to get all my supplies for the hospital. And then um, my bro- one of my favorite moments of being in labor was my brother tried the TENS machine on his wrist on full, because we hadn't even taken out of the box yet. He tried it on full power. And um, oh, no, <laughs> that was a, a hilarious moment of him shocking himself. So I'm with my brother and we decided that at 3.20 a.m. that we were going to go be checked. So imagine my brother taking me to the hospital. And so so the, the labor and delivery nurse said that I was having super mild contractions about eight minutes apart. And she said that I was two and a half centimeters and 90% effaced. And then she said, you know, that I should go labor at home. So at that point, I, I texted, I think I texted my mom and of course called my husband and said, I need you to come back here right now. So we made it back. I mean, it could have been days. We didn't really know, but I wanted my husband there, obviously. So we made it back to my parents' house and I decided to labor at my parents' house. And I just got into the tub by myself. Um, everyone was asleep. And at that point, around 6.30 a.m., I texted the doula to see if she could come over, the doula on call. So she came on over and I was trying to slowly were down by being in the tub. I don't think that was obviously the most helpful for getting things moving along. So she encouraged me to um, do some inversions and to do some other sort of exercises to help get things moving along. But I felt the most, I guess, comfortable in the tub at that point. Well, um, and you hadn't slept all night yet. Yeah, I, yeah, I hadn't slept. Yeah. So that now we're in Friday morning. And you can imagine Thursday, I didn't get much sleep either bringing my husband to the airport at 3am. Right. And then up all night Friday. Mm-hmm. So Pretty much at that point, we were just in between the shower, the tub, and her trying to do the rebozo on me and other um, exercises. And she felt that I sounded pushy. This was at pretty much we were just laboring in my parents' room and bathroom of all places until about 1.30 p.m. She thought I sounded pushy and was making low vocalizations. But I was telling her, no, no, like, this is not it. I'm not ready to go to the hospital. And in fact, we have it on video of me saying that I, I felt fine. So I really knew that it wasn't time, but she just kept insisting that it was time to go. So I trusted her being the doula. And I mean, there were some signs. I was vomiting a lot, bowels loose. There were definitely some signs that it could be a precipitous labor, but I just knew I just knew I was, I was like, if this is it, if this is like the max pain, like this is no big deal. There's no way that this is it, you know, but I trusted her anyways. And we went to the hospital again for my second time. And this was around 2 PM. And the nurse said that I was only at three centimeters 
80% of face and negative one station. And that made me very upset to have that, hear that check because I had been laboring all night and then all morning and now we're into the afternoon. And when I went in with my brother at, you know, 1am, I was what, two, two and a half, I think they told me. So I just felt pretty like, I guess, defeated at that point that it was taking much longer than I had had anticipated. Although of course my husband was still not there. He was on an airplane. My mom wasn't there and I was in the tub all morning. So what could I expect? But it still is just like, it's, it's defeating to get those vaginal checks and and hardly make any progress. Yeah. Those can be hard because they're, you know, it's a disappointing, I call them disappointing vaginal checks. It's hard to remember under these circumstances that I keep thinking of that mantra of like, your cervix is not a crystal ball. (laughs) It can't tell you anything in terms of predicting how long it's going to take. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I knew that, but it's hard. I think for me, my story is a very like thinking brain story. Like mm. all of it, I couldn't get out of my thinking brain. And I literally couldn't because where's my husband? Where's my mom? Where's my support team? Am I going to have this baby without my husband being there? So I really couldn't get out of my thinking brain the whole time. And, and I think that was my biggest downfall. That was your, that was your labor. That was your, everybody has like a different crux, like a different, you know, what it is that's the challenge, your, your, your wall. And that was Mm -hmm. yours. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So meanwhile, when we went to the hospital for that second time, just my doula and I went to the hospital, my dad went to go pick up my husband from the airport. So he had made it back. He landed, I think around 3 PM. And the plan was, because we thought it was going to be the precipitous birth. The plan was my dad was going to pick my husband up from the airport and hopefully make it just in time to see the birth of our son. Like my husband thought he had hit the lottery of like missing the whole labor. Um, (laughs) You were waiting for him. Little did he know. (laughs) Yeah, little did he know. So then when I got the check, the vaginal check, you know, we called my dad and said, okay, actually, this is going to be a while. We're going back home again. I'm not being admitted to the hospital. And so at that time, my husband decided that he had enough time to even stop back at our house and get a change of clothes and all of that sort of stuff. So we ended up going back home. I I had it at this point at the hospital, I changed doulas. The doulas work in 12-hour shifts. So I had a new doula. And then that doula and I went back to my parents' house. We decided that since I was already set up there and comfortable laboring there, I wasn't really comfortable laboring there, but you know, it, it was what it was at that point. I, w- I wanted, I guess, to be there since we were set up more so than coming back to my house and, and figuring out everything here because we had kind of a little, you know, I guess at that point, we just... Your birth ball was there. Your brother had brought it over. Mm-hmm. And the TENS machine was, I mean, I used the TENS machine a lot throughout the whole labor. Was it, did it make a difference? Because I'm not, yeah. that, I hear that people love the TENS machines. I have, just haven't worked with them enough. Mm-hmm. I mean, it obviously in the end didn't make uh, the world of the difference that I could get through it, I guess, on my own. But since I started using it in the beginning, like they say to do, I, I really relied on it at that point, you know, if, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. So you've made it back to your parents' house. You've decided to cocoon there. Your husband is here, which, yay. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So what happened next? So pretty much just, I labored on the toilet a little bit. This doula was really, I guess my first doula let me, I feel like, be in the tub more. But again, because my husband wasn't there, my mom wasn't there. 
this doula was more into making me do the lift and tucks and all these other all the other exercises that I knew that I should be doing, but I still really wanted to be in the tub the most. So, you know, I was kind of in and out of the tub. And I guess when I look, I feel like it was a long chunk of time in my mind because it was getting more and more intense and more and more difficult for me to make it through the contractions. In my mind, it feels like that chunk of time where I was back at my parents' house again to when we went to the hospital for the third time. It feels like a long time. But when I look back at the notes, it was only a few hours, but the, the tub really helped. At one point, I went into the shower and my husband came in with me. And that was really helpful to kind of for us to regroup just us two and and have some space because, you know, we hadn't really said hello even much since he got back from his very short, less than 24 hour trip to Milwaukee. So that was a highlight of my labor, I guess, when I think back on it, of like just a nice time with us, realizing that the baby was coming. And let me just say how important those little moments are, right? Because it sounds like, oh, it's just a, a little nothing, but it's so crucial to make those little, like, consider how you're going to bring some pleasure and joy into your labor instead of yeah, fearing anxiety. The funny thing is we were in my parents' shower. Well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know, I wanted to say my dad, I, beginning in early labor, you know, when I was there by myself in the tub before the doula came and just throughout the whole process, he kept coming into his room, of course. And he would come in and he'd be like, I just don't know how you can do this. I just, I just don't know. I can't, I can't see you like this. I just, and he was so flustered. It, it was just, it was a lot for my dad to be, you know, in labor without my mom there at his house. <laughs> mm. Do you think he was yeah. like, he just didn't know how to help or what? Yeah, he was not helpful. (laughs) He was not helpful. He would walk in every like, I don't know, 45 minutes or an hour and check on me. And I would just be like, Dad, I need you to leave. I need you to leave. You're not. It wasn't helpful to me because he kept saying, I don't know how you can do this. Right. Um, Yeah. He was not a cheerleader. (laughs) No, I I don't think he knew how. It was a lot for him to see his, his firstborn in, you know, pain. and Yeah. Yeah. So interesting. Yeah. And I guess we'll kind of get into my, my siblings take on the whole thing later as well. Cause you have to remember that I had four siblings and one who was flying back from San Diego to be there as well. You know, they were all witnessing this and, you know, they, they had their own stories to tell of hearing me like moaning and groaning. They could hear me down, you know, when they were downstairs in the kitchen or oh, whatever, sure. so they were trying to like, you know, mind their own business or my sisters would bring me snacks or whatever, but I just, they were not part of my plan to have my whole family as part of my labor. So yeah. (laughs) You did it anyway. (laughs) Yep. Yep. So after you connected with your husband and you guys had like a nicer time and just, just gathering yourselves while in the shower, what happened next? So, I mean, one, one main thing was during this time of laboring at my parents' house, I just got really, really fearful. I really did not want a cesarean. And I was starting to worry about, again, being so much of my thinking brain about how, if I go back to the hospital, what is that vaginal check going to look like? Because I made such little progress the last time I was there. And I just started feeling discouraged and um, really uh, 
really upset that my mom wasn't there. <clears throat> so I was, I was crying and just very upset. So we got her on the phone and she helped to calm me down. And she had decided at that point that she was not going to come back. So it was what it was, but it kind of helped me, you know, release some of the fears. After we got off the phone with her, my, my doula had me do some guided meditation and some affirmations and just try to release my negative thoughts. So that really helped. And I guess I let go of the idea of my mom being there. And then almost 9 p.m., we decided to go back to the hospital because this time I wanted to go. I was just feeling like it was getting really intense and, and I just, I wanted to go back to the hospital. And this time we were really saying, you know, third time's the charm and, and my dad was crying and, you know, wishing us luck on our way for this third time to the hospital. And when I got there in triage, I was only three centimeters. So the same as I was before, 80% of face and baby was still high. So I was, I was really discouraged that from, let's see, was it like around 2 p.m. was my last vaginal check all the way till 9 p.m. that I, I guess in the terms of medical staff, I had made no progress. Mm. So how did you rally at that point? Like, what did you do? What kept you going forward or what, what was your mindset? Mm, well, I had a lot of tears at that point, And I, that was when I started to doubt, like, could I do this? I was already, it was already so intense and I was in so much like pain. I started to doubt if I could do it. I guess shortly after I finally had, um, I guess I lost my mucus plug. So everybody was encouraging me that there was some change happening and, and things were going well. They also convinced the doctor on call to admit me, which was great because I didn't want to go home for the third time. And then I kind of started talking about what am I going to do like for pain management? Because I really started to feel like the TENS machine and all this wasn't going as I had hoped, I guess. I got my first dose of penicillin and that burned a lot more than I, I thought going down. I tried again to do kind of the comfort measures I had at home with the shower and the tub, but that wasn't that great in the hospital, not the best shower or tub. But eventually my doula got me in a good mantra of saying good and open and kind of just in these mantras to help me. And um, my doula kind of took control finally at one point and turned off the lights and tried to make it a more comfortable environment for me and tried to kind of take back that control because up until that point, our, our hospital visit that, that third time was really medicalized. And um, they had a really hard time keeping my baby's heart rates on the monitors. And I didn't want the continuous monitoring, but the doctor on call required it. And so the nurses were like, at, at one point, there were like three nurses all in there trying to get his heart on the monitor. And they just kept losing it. Like he kept wiggling and kept losing it. So bless their hearts, those nurses worked really hard to make sure they could keep him on the monitor like the doctor had wanted. That was just kind of exhausting that, you know, there were so many people on me and around me. So my doula kind of took control and that worked for a while, but then I just was feeling like, again, my thinking brain kind of kicked in. I, I, I guess I should mention I, there was a lot more vomit and like I, I was clearing out, like I, I, I was clearing out for the baby and I was finding my mantras of, I am strong. I trust my body. 
I'm stronger than I think. I, I tried, I really did get into a zone. But then at 2 11 a.m., I was in the shower. I felt miserable. Again, the nurses were holding the monitors onto me while I was in the shower. And I just, I had this moment in my brain where I was like, you know what? I've been at this for so long. It's already Saturday morning. I've been in labor since, you know, early labor, but, you know, I couldn't ignore those or that early labor, you know, since Thursday. I kind of just had a thinking brain moment of my water hasn't broken yet. You know, I, I'm, I'm exhausted. I'm, I'm miserable and exhausted. I think that it's time to say that I can get the epidural. So I decided to get that epidural and I was at that point, they checked me and I was six and a half centimeters and I decided to continue with the epidural anyways. And so, um, the anesthesiologist came in and I said, you know, I really want this to be like a super low dose. I just want you to take the edge off. And I was really lucky that I had an anesthesiologist that listened to those wishes. And so, you know, he gave me a pretty low dose. And after the epidural, I I felt great. I was kicking my legs in the air. I was butterflying my legs. I was showing the nurses like, look at me. I'm still having, I still have movement. I still have control. Like I'm not numb. I felt really great at that point. So I felt, you know, happy at at that point that for the decision to get that epidural, I I felt like I needed it. Mm. And I think it's really like getting to that point can be so tough because you had wishes like it feels almost like you're in defeat. But it's so important to pay attention and figure out what the circumstances are. And I think actually being able to set aside your wishes and go like, you know, those wishes I made without context. Here's the context right now. What do I need at this moment? And making that decision from your own need can be at the same time, you know, really empowering because there, uh, I do try to pay attention that during births and labors that at the end, you want it to be a good birth experience. And if you're miserable, like pain is pain, but being miserable, that's not a good birth experience. Mm, Yeah. And I really, not to scare anybody out there, but I really did hit the point of misery between being up several nights in a row and, you know, just missing my mom and everything. I was at the point of, yeah, I needed some relief and I needed some rest. I kind of had this thinking brain moment of like, I'm so tired. How am I going to push this baby out if I'm this exhausted? Like I need some rest. Yeah. And not sleeping for like, because you didn't sleep very well the night before taking them to the hospitals, to the the airport. So it'd been like three nights now that you haven't slept. Exactly. That's exhausting. Yeah. Wednesday, Thursday and Friday night of no sleep or little sleep. So I felt really happy that, you know, I had a lot of mobility with that epidural and I didn't feel completely numb. I tried to sleep, but I was shaking a lot. I wasn't, I really wasn't sleeping. And then at one point I felt this, the huge water balloon come down and burst open. And I was so excited and happy that I could feel that my water had broken. Cause I, I heard stories that, you know, with an epidural, sometimes people can't feel anything at all. And they don't feel that their water has broken. So I just, I felt great that I, you know, it was taking the edge off, but I still could feel so much. And at that point, the 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 cramping and the contractions started getting worse. Even with the epidural, I could I could feel a lot. So I really knew that like things were starting to really ramp up at that point. But something important to note was 
it was getting towards morning. This my my water broke at four thirty a.m. and I knew doing my research that you know there was there's going to be a shift change at some point, and um, I wanted to know when that was going to take place and. Luckily, I had kind of researched all of the doctors that were in my practice that could deliver my baby. And so I asked the nurses, I said, honestly, what's your opinion of the doctor on call right now? And, and my nurse was fantastic. And she said, you know, honestly, he doesn't have great bedside manner. And I was, that obviously was not the great thing to hear. So I said, okay, well, when shift change? And she said, it's at seven. And I'm like, who's on? And when she said the doctor's name of who was on at shift change, I was elated. I was like, I am making it to shift change. I know this doctor. I love this doctor. I want her to deliver my baby. So that was kind of my goal at that point was to make it to shift change. But after my water broke, I was feeling a lot of pressure, a lot of cramping. I tried to just relax. And that's when I actually listened to Wapio's Pod, uh, the podcast you did with Wapio about the quietude. I think that one was called Third Stage of Labor, right? Um, it is the holistic stages of labor. And I think and that's part two. I'll link it on the show notes. Mm, okay, great. So I listened to that and that really relaxed me because I had kind of gotten in this uh, meditation with, with your podcast quite often during my walks. And I think I just want to say if anybody is, you know, they come to your show and they don't really know where to start, I would start with Wapio's episodes because she she puts you in a different mindset and a different mind frame, I guess, mm-hmm. for, for labor and birth. And for me, it was really transformative to listen to her episodes with you. And I listened to them numerous times when I was pregnant. It was kind of like my hypnobirthing, honestly. Oh, I love hearing that because I obviously love Wapio and, and it is, it's a different approach to birth and, and it's a more holistic, it's a more, you know, you centered and more trusting of the process and finding your own way, right? It's internal, not external. Yes. Mm-hmm. And her voice is so calming and um, she just makes you feel like, yes, I can do this. Like this is an empowering thing. So I really love, love that episode. So I enjoyed my own quietude and we had the lights off and finally some quiet and peace in, in the room. My husband was able to sleep. And then at 6.40 a.m., I was complete and there was so much pressure and I was trying not to push. And I was pretty much feeling pressure from 6 a.m. Like I probably could have started pushing then. But I I really, again, labored down, enjoyed that quietude, and I was determined to make it for the next doctor on call. So, of course, at 7 a.m., that's shift change. I'm like, where is she? Is she here yet? Is she here yet? They're like, she's not here yet. So she rolled in around like maybe 7.10 and it takes a bit longer than I had anticipated for them to kind of set up their, I guess, sterile area or whatever when you're having a vaginal delivery. Yeah, the table. I'm surprised they hadn't set it up already. Mm -mm, They set it up when she got there. So they were letting me do pushes kind of out of the corner of their eye while they were setting up. And I was pushing on my side at that point, which was cool. But then I had asked for a mirror and I had a lot of, birth wishes with the perennial massage and all those sort of things that I'm convinced that the doctor with poor bedside manner that they had mentioned would not have followed those wishes, the delayed cord clamping and things like that. So yeah, so finally they had everything set up and we were ready to go. And I thought the mirror was really helpful to, you know, push on my back. That was kind of the most comfortable for me, even though she was letting me also push on my side if I liked. 
and it, it it was it was pretty easy with the the pushing stage with the epidural taking the edge off and I could still feel everything you know he he came out pretty easily and I felt really empowered by that of being able to touch his head and kind of help pull him out so that was a great experience and so he was born at 755 on Saturday and we immediately did the skin to skin and and the breast crawl and and all of that great stuff Yay! So you started pushing uh, in earnest, like at seven fifteen ish. Well, I definitely did some pushes on my own without anybody okay. being there because there was so much pressure. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And then so he, he went to skin to skin, delayed cord clamping. How were you feeling at that point? I felt amazing at that point, although. I, I was quite aware, again, thinking brain was still in mode. I was quite aware of how many people were in the room because my nurses had stayed and all, all the nurses who were with me all night long had stayed. And then the new nurses on shift change came on in and there were so many people in that room. You had two shifts in there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you tear it all? Yeah, I guess I asked the, I asked the doctor or the nurse afterwards. And she said they hadn't even written it in my chart. It was such a small tear, but it was a a small vaginal tear. And they did do um, a few stitches, which I actually felt those. So I I wasn't that, again, I I was really happy with my epidural. Yeah. Sounds like you had a lot of mobility for sure. And how was that first hour? Did he latch on? Yeah. I had a lot of nurses trying to take control of the breastfeeding right away. And that's where I kind of used my knowledge of what I had seen um, from the uh, Nancy Moorbacher and Teresa Nesbitt. And I really tried to, you know, advocate for myself and say, like, I want to do it this way. And let's just wait and see if he can do it by himself. Yeah, that went well. I did it. I did it my way. You did the whole thing your way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and how was early postpartum? Was there any big surprises there? Well, the the one thing I should say is I was still in the delivery room. There was no recovery room for me. They were so busy. And I, my family came to visit me around 11 a.m. And I was feeling great. But then I started feeling just like, you know, I, I had so much fluid in me and three rounds of IV drugs that I did not want. And I started feeling just like terrible. I, I don't even know how to describe it. And I stood up to go to the bathroom and my whole family's in there, you know, my dad, my five siblings, my husband, not my mom. Of course, she didn't make it back. I stood up and all this fluid and blood just gushed out of me. It was, it was awful. And my, my sister, my 16-year-old sister is just like, I'm traumatized. I'm traumatized. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, I'm not doing this. So it's her, her takeaway from the whole thing is like traumatizing. So that was kind of an embarrassing moment of just like, oh my God, everybody's in here. They've seen me labor. They've seen so much of me. And then this happens. Birth can be so humbling at times. <laughs> <laughs> so looking back at an experience, how are you feeling about it? Is there anything you do differently? What were those things that you haven't mentioned that really helped? Well, I think next time I definitely would like to remember that hospital as place of birth you know, is the main indicator for interventions and try to do it, you know, even more physiologically next time, maybe not in a hospital to avoid those interventions. And I think one thing I want to mention is that I did the placenta encapsulation and I would highly recommend that because that, that really boosted my mood. I had those capsules. 
which was great. But interestingly, I had three rounds of antibiotics in me. And so I asked the doctor, but of course they don't really like know that much about placenta encapsulation, but there really is no research out there in terms of do the antibiotics, are they in my placenta and is it enough to keep, you know, giving my baby a small dose every day? So I had some apprehension with encapsulating my placenta after having so much antibiotics, but I did it anyways and everything, everything seemed fine. Yeah, there's not that much research in general about placentas and the the research, because if you think about it, so it's such an individual organ. What the research has shown is that it, it, it seems to have different effects for different people. So, so I'm so happy that your placenta worked for you and then made you feel better. For some people, like you read, it'll be like placenta encapsulation boosts your milk production. And then some people it it doesn't it lessens their milk production and for some people it doesn't help their mood so it's more of like if you're going to do it be mindful of that and then pay attention if things aren't great stop the pills and see if that changes anything oh wow i didn't know that there's so many variables that it's hard to get good data now but i mean i'm thrilled that it worked for you for sure yeah, yeah, absolutely. It worked, worked great for me. I, I was feeling awesome immediately postpartum. And um, finally, when we when the day we got to come home from the hospital was the day that my mom was able to come over and she went, came straight from the airport to our house to see our baby. And I think I had set up a lot of support for that immediate postpartum. And I had doula visits, postpartum doula visits, which was wonderful. And really everything was, you know, the way that I wanted it to be immediately postpartum, what surprised me, and I think this is just probably parenting in general, because you go through stage after stage after stage, you can't prepare for everything. But now is for me, it has been the hardest part these last two months, kind of going back to work full time and going through sleep regressions. And, you know, you can only plan out so far of your supports and what your life is going to look like. So I think for me, just kind of being somebody who likes to be in control, I planned so much for the immediate, but I didn't, I didn't super duper think about long-term postpartum. <laughs> and it's hard because it is a long-term marathon. Mm-hmm. Megan Othling, she's a fabulous doula and childbirth educator in Albuquerque, in New Mexico. She has several kids and finally her littlest one, is getting to an age where, it, you know, she she feels like she's finally come up for air. She was equating it to like, there was an earthquake in my house and I can finally sort through the rubble. Like, I can now look around and see what happened and what I want to do, like how I want to put this back together or not, what to throw. But it's only now that she feels like, oh, okay, let's assess the situation. And I feel we need to know that more that it takes, hey, you know, your baby's, your, your newborn is going to need you more than your baby and your baby's going to need you more than your toddler, but they're still going to need you for years and years. It's not until that, yeah. like three to five, even seven years that you're like, oh, what just happened? Mm-hmm. And once you figure out one stage and you feel like you haven't mastered, then the next stage comes and you're a newbie again. So yeah, I think that's just, I have to get used to that, that that is parenting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Things will never be the same. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You are transformed forever. (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, definitely. Well, Julia, thank you so very much for coming on the show and wanting to share your story and, and all your insights of this thinking brain birth. Yeah. Next time, I'm, I'm really hoping that I can have a more internal experience, but it, this was what it was. It was your birth experience and that's what, that's the only thing we can do, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Make it yours. Thank you so very much. Thank you, Adriana. That was teacher and mom, Julia Cooper. Julia shared with us the most adorable newborn pictures, and they're all up on her episode page at birthful.com. Now, since we talked, Julia's also had two more births, with one being a home birth that went great, and then the other being a planned home birth that turned into a hospital birth because her baby decided to show up at 34 weeks. Even so, Julia says that one turned out to be her most empowering birth experience. You can connect with us at Birthful Podcast on Instagram. And in fact, if you're not driving, it would be lovely if you take a screenshot of this episode right now and post it to Instagram, sharing your biggest takeaway from the episode. Make sure to tag at Birthful Podcast so we can see it and amplify it. You can find the in-depth show notes and transcript of this episode at birthful.com, where you can also learn more about my birth and postpartum preparation classes and download your free postpartum preparation plan. Also, if you find this podcast to be an invaluable resource for you, then the best way to support us is by taking any one of my perinatal classes, doing one of my doula workshops, or trying out some of the wonderful products made by our sponsors. This is what allows us to continue doing this work. Birthful is created and produced by me, Adriana Lozada, with production assistance from Asia Plotty. Thank you so very much for listening to and sharing Birthful. Be sure to follow us on Good Pod, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and everywhere you listen. And then come back for more ways to inform your intuition. Hey, Mighty One, did you know that if you started listening to one birthful episode per day at the start of your pregnancy, your baby would be about three months old before you got through all of them? That is so much birthful. So to ease us into the summer and to help you catch up on your listening, we're going back to releasing one episode per week instead of two. Now you know.